It's Monday, May 31st, and you're listening to a special edition of Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, veteran umpire Joe West sets the record for most games arbitrated on the south side of Chicago. Javi Baez runs wild on the bases in Pittsburgh, while Jermaine Marquez needs only 62 pitches to complete a game. A Cuban Olympian defects to the USA, while, while the Mickey Calloway era ends in Anaheim before it really even gets started. The Cubs and the Sox are hot, and our popcorn selection is on the 1980s classic Roadhouse. Happy Memorial Day, Tom. Happy Memorial Day to you, and a special shout out to all of our active uh, soldiers out there, or, or military personnel, um, and certainly the ones that have passed, given up their lives for our great country. Absolutely, absolutely. The freedom that we enjoy is well, guaranteed by these men and women. And, and we, we typically uh, celebrate that by eating a hot dog or two. What, what, are your, what are your plans for today? What are my plans? Well, today we're going to go over to my in-laws' house. My parents are in town. They're staying over at a hotel, and we're going to go spend the uh, spend sort of the late afternoon, early evening cooking out. And uh, my my mother-in-law is going to cook, and this always puts a lot of pressure on her because he worries that she thinks that my mother is this great cook, and 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 she is, and she's very intimidated. So yeah. it's, it's, it's always very, very stressful, that aspect of my parents getting together with my in-laws. Other than that, yeah. they get along great. You know, they, they really do. I, I understand that. I get, I get that um, issue. But, I, you know, if I was your in-laws, maybe she should go and, like, have it privately catered and then put it on her, her plates like she made it. But that's not, I mean, exactly. That's not, but it just isn't going to go that way. But it's been, it's been great having my parents in town this weekend. Um, you know, this it doesn't is, help that your mom holds up cards after each dish. Like this is a six, this is a five. <laughs> and there's no, nothing over six. She's never given a seven yeah, or a She's very, very tough judge. No, my mom is, you know, my mom is, but, but, but because she's a thing. great, because she's a great cook. She's a great chef and she knows what she's doing in the kitchen and it intimidates my mother-in-law and it's tough but but we'll get you know other than that we'll just get through it and that's uh, beautiful well welcome welcome uh out of cincinnati one last thing is this one of your first trips for your parents post-covid this is the first time they've been here since thanksgiving of 2019 wow 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 so it, it's been a long time and uh you know, they just enjoyed seeing the kids. Like when I picked them up at the airport, I brought my youngest daughter with them, with me. And, you know, they, my, my mother kind of delighted in being in the backseat with her. You know, <laughs> we went to breakfast with my other daughter, Lily, and, you know, just sitting there talking to Lily. Lily's a very mature young lady. And, and it's just, you know, they, they really kind of thrill at seeing their grandchildren. So that's, 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 that's great. why they do this. That's why I'm glad they're here. But let's open the bag of uh, peanuts, Tom. Joe West was looking at something maybe on the glove of Gallegos. Mike Schultz coming back. And maybe it's the bill of his cap. And he throws out Schultz. Schultz leaving. Joe West broke the record yesterday for most games umpired. Now he's adding to his ejection total. Schultz is irate. I want to begin with Joe West. Uh, he surpasses Bill Clem, 
for the most games umpired. And, and it made for a really weird White Sox uh, Cardinal series, don't you think? It, it, yes, it did. And, and um, the, I, you know, I, I begrudgingly give Joe West um, kudos for this, even though I really can't stand the guy. I, I've never liked him. I don't like the fact that he openly admits that he holds grudges. You know, a lot, a lot of folks feel that he's a, he's a competent umpire. Obviously, you have to have some level of competency to, to, to have this record. And Bill Clem is a Hall of Famer. So you have to presume that the same thing is going to happen for Joe West. Uh, obviously, the, the guy with the most uh, games uh, as an umpire is, is going to make it to the Hall. It doesn't fill me with joy, Leo, because I just don't care for this guy. I, I just I, don't. And a lot of he's people got such don't. a punchable face. He does. He does have a punchable face, and he can be a jerk. And he intentionally blows calls, especially in balls and strikes, to see how you're going to react. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, how they react, how the pitchers react. And then if you just shut your mouth and say nothing, apparently he is good. Or, but if you complain, then he's going to really stick it to you every chance he gets. But, uh, but everybody, you know, you heard a lot about Joe West all week. And everybody loves him. You know, he had a banquet here in Chicago and guys flew in from all over the country. Mike Shannon flew in that, uh, that great, uh, or that old NBA ref, I forget his name, the one who retired, the one that everybody hated, he flew in. You know, all these big people came in <clears throat> for this banquet. And, uh, you know, people on the radio were just saying how much he contributes to charities, how, how great he is with uh, young umpires. If a young umpire ever writes to him, he always sends him stuff, equipment, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, what, what are we really talking about here? You know, do you really think he's that bad of a guy? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And I think that, you know, he'll probably be uh, umpiring the uh, softball game in hell at some point. I don't like the guy. And, and I've, you know, the athletic did kind of an expose on him and other umpires where they talk about the fact that I can't remember who the player was, um, but it had to do with classic cars and Joe West. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he denied it. West denied it. It was something about uh, the pitcher, that left-hander from Houston who went to the Mets. He was saying that uh, that uh, he was saying to the catcher, "Don't worry, West is going to take care of me because I lent him my car." Yeah. And he right. drove all weekend. And sure enough, you know, pitches on the outside were called strikes and so right. on. I, I've just observed too many things with West over the years. Um, you know, he's not, he's not Angel Hernandez. He's not as bad as, 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 you know, he's more competent at the calls. I just don't like the holding grudges thing. I, I, you know, I'm happy he got the record, but, you know, he was involved in a, another controversial thing in regards to uh, pulling the hat off of uh, uh, who was Yeah, it? right. And that's what was strange about this series in that uh, this guy, Gallegos, this pitcher comes in for the mm -hmm. Cardinals. Gio. That's his first name. Gio, I think it's Gio, Gio Gallego. Sorry. Yeah. And, and so he comes into the game and, you know, it was really funny because the previous weekend we had talked about how major league baseball needs to start enforcing these rules, Correct. foreign substances on the base, on the baseball. And, and, and just, just like we had called it, Joe West stopped uh, Gallegos after he came in from the bullpen and said, Hey man, you got to get rid of your cap because you got some stuff on your brim there. And yeah. it looked pretty obvious. I, I, I actually was happy that that was enforced. 
you know? So that wasn't Joe West. That was the second base umpire. Well, he noticed it and told West. Correct, correct. And, and, and West just enforced it. So this is not really hanging over him. However, I do agree with what Mike Schilte said in the um, interviews after the game, which is it's so arbitrary. You know, first, and, and, and he's right about that because I watch a lot of baseball and almost every pitcher I ever see has that little spot on the top the of their cap. Thing, that yeah. stain, People call know. it a stain. I have another word for it. It's called cheating. That's, that's <laughs> what they're doing. They're rubbing foreign substances. And so I don't know whether this was the tip of the iceberg and, and may, uh, the Major League Baseballs and the umpires have talked like, hey, you can, it's noticeable, these caps, because it is. I urge you today to take a look at some of the games. You're going to find that little spot on, a, on the majority of pitchers out there. And so Schilte's point is, why now? Why did you pick this now? What was why, the- why, yeah, What was it about this game? Why yeah, this right, game? right. Well, and, and you know what's really funny? Because they've been asking pitchers about this a lot in post-game press conferences. And the pitchers are, are running, they're, they're sort of, their side of this is they're running it kind of like a protection racket. They're like, Correct. well, you know, Correct. well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a little the- sunscreen and sweat. Yeah. You know, I got to wear the sunscreen because I'll get burnt. Up. Yeah, come on. You're already wearing a hat. I mean, <laughs> well, they're, they're kind of like, well, you know, we're, we, we, we don't, we don't endorse cheating, but at the same time, you know, if we don't have control of the baseball guys are going to get hurt. You know? Oh yeah. That's right. That's the argument they say. If we didn't yeah, right. do that to the ball, there'd be right. a lot of hit batsmen. There's more hit batsmen this year than there's ever been at this point. So it's not stopping that at all. I, I think what you're having is the post Bauer effects on baseball and baseball trying to get their, their head around it in the sense that there's enough evidence that, that pitchers are altering the balls in the post-Kenny Rogers world we live in. If you remember Kenny Rogers yeah, on Detroit in the World Series with the pine tar on his on his hand, and they're saying when a when a pitcher goes to his glove to touch that spot on his glove or it touches stuff, that's basically what Kenny Rogers was doing, which I mean, I'm a Tiger fan. It's cheating. I don't care what anybody says. You can't. I mean, I think baseball's pretty clear about foreign substances. What they haven't been clear about is policing it. Yeah, and, right. and I think that's the state that we're in now where Schilte is right. Why did you all of a sudden decide to, to bust on this pitcher when look around the league right now, I'll bet you the majority of pitchers have that little white spot on their hats. But what was good about that whole incident is that uh, he stopped it. West stopped it before Gallegos threw a pitch. Yes, yes. I mean, which, well, well, West felt he had to do that. Otherwise, yeah. then there would be – uh, you know, why did he get to throw to a batter with it? You know, you guys didn't catch it. He absolutely had to, to, to do that. So it all played out right. What it just kind of rings false is, and maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully, maybe this is the beginning of them trying to kind of police it. Don't know, and I don't think so. But what are they going to do, put cops in every clubhouse before games when the pitchers are rubbing the balls up or when the clubhouse guys are, are dipping them in pine tar like they do? They have to. They have to. They- you know, they rub the balls up. The umpires handle all the balls before the game, and they rub them with mud, with a special mud. Yeah. Kind of make them less shiny. But And then after that, I think the pitchers can use rosin, but I think that that has to kind of be enforced, you know. But anyway, that, like, it, it, it's, a, it's a thorny problem. It, it's it not is. my problem. It's a sticky situation, as I said last situation. week. And I'll tell you, there's somebody else who's uh, in a sticky situation. And that is Mr. Marcel Ozuna. 
Yeah, he's, he's in big trouble. Of, uh, he's in big trouble. He's been accused of, uh, he's been arrested on, on a charge of domestic violence where he was seen by police officers choking his wife and then throwing her into a wall. And, uh, and the Braves, who he plays for, say, are saying that they're going to cooperate with the investigation. And, you know, this is really bad for Ozuna because I'll tell you something, he may have just kissed $65 million goodbye. Yeah, all those things are at play. I thought it was kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it, but he said that he had hurt two knuckles. He's on the IL, is the bottom line, for six weeks because he he injured two knuckles, and they claim it was in a game, but I'm wondering, was it actually in a game? And, And the bigger thing is, had cops not actually witnessed him trying to strangle his wife, yeah. Would we even know about this story? That's the part that that that's that's scary. How often does this occur? Still, uh, you know, uh, we, it's just, it, it's just it, these are bizarre times in the sense that we're, we we want to be woke and we want to do the right thing, but I think that push comes to shove, literally and figuratively, um, hotheads are hotheads, and it just seems like that you. You can't stop it. It's almost like it's human nature. I just say because cops watched it, he got busted. And that's a oh, terrible yeah. thing to say. <laughs> well, I just hope his wife is okay. But what's interesting too is, and Me I don't too. know how this matters, but he had been arrested. Yes, yes. The, the year before. But um, it doesn't make it right. There's there's spousal abuse, right male or female. When a, when a female hits on a male, that's the same thing. It's it's it. You can't have that. And you, I think you're right. You hit on the biggest point. There's a lot of money hanging in the balance here, and the Braves potentially could, could, could exercise, uh, uh, you know, a clause because you know there's a clause in there that could potentially get them out of it. I don't know that they will. He's a tremendous baseball player, but he needs I, help. You need he's not you know, that good. He's not that good, and I'll tell you, it'll uh, be a long. We, we, it'll be years before he's back in the major leagues, if maybe. at all. If at all. Me, maybe. But uh, this was big news this week. Uh, also big news this week was, um, what is a Maddox? So for our listener out there, can you explain to me what a Maddox is? Because I've had people tell me it's different things. I understand it as one set of criteria. What is your understanding of a Maddox? Well, a, a Maddox is a complete game that, that is a win. Yeah. And it's done in, uh, it's a shutout. And it's, it's a shutout. Done, and, and it's done by throwing less than 100 pitches. That is correct. That's my and, understanding of it. Yeah, and and so there was a game this this week uh, that was pitched by the Colorado's Colorado Rockies, Jermaine Marquez, and uh, he pitched a complete game in sixty-two pitches. Now, what's the, what what the problem with this is? Yep. Is that we he didn't know. win. He didn't pitch a shutout, and uh, and and his team was the home team. So his team was, or no, his team was the road team. And the home team was ahead in the bottom of the seventh inning because it was the front end of a double header. So yeah. he had only pitched 62 innings or 62 pitches, which is interesting. I it's not a Maddox. It, you've no. already, it's not a Maddox. First of all, it's making me mental, these seven inning games. As a fantasy uh, baseball player that's actually doing very, very well right now, when I have an ace pitcher and he's only pitching seven innings, that really hurts me losing those last two innings that some of these studs might actually pitch. Those I lose those points. It's just, it just, there's something about these seven inning games. I know, like my wife who hates baseball loves them. And I, I suspect that maybe many accidental fans might 
actually like the fact that they're shorter. I don't. From a statistical standpoint, it kind of makes me crazy in the head when I try to have to, especially if a no-hitter is thrown. Then you have to kind of start apologizing for things. Which, which by the way, no-hitters, you know, are, are they're, they're taking no-hitters in the fifth inning every every day. Someone is. Correct. Thinking, Correct. You know I mean? so, Correct. So, no, yeah, I don't like them at all. And, and the White Sox had to play a, a doubleheader on Saturday. And I just – you know, the weather was terrible on Friday. The Cubs were able to get their game in. But they, you know they, what? I have the Sox closer, and I got two saves. So I'm got three fan. saves. You saved yeah, uh, yeah, Sunday. Yeah, huge, huge fan. Huge yeah. fan. But anyways. <laughs> so, all right. Anyways. Well, anyway. But Excuse this was all. I catch this fly. So, so this was news to um, a young man by the name of Cesar Prieto. Yeah. I saw this. I saw this yeah. video. And he defected from the Cuban national team while they were in Florida. They were in Orlando for an Olympic qualifier, yeah. and he and he and he basically said, "Hey, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here." Yeah. And this is huge news, you know that this still goes on. And did you see the statement issued by the Cuban national baseball team? It just seemed to be kind of bucolic, like, like "Oh, we're victims of the racketeers yeah, and the, right. you know the oppressors, the oppressors, the oppressors and the profiteers, and we just want an equitable way to make our baseball play." Yeah, I'm just like, listen, Cuba, you got to let these guys play. You got to let you got to let these guys do what they need to do with their talent and. You have to let them play for the Cuban national baseball team. You so, got to get all these guys back. You know, if, if you haven't noticed, Cuba doesn't play in the United States very often for this exact reason. Usually, the path for Cubans is through Mexico because Mexico plays Cuba on a regular basis, and there's a lot of defections that occur there. In fact, there's a process involved if you're a Cuban player. It's kind of like an underground railroad thing. Well, they'll show you how to, to get to the safe houses and all that stuff. It's unusual in the States, and it's only because Cuba is in Southern Florida. This team, These players are in Southern Florida, which, again, once they go back to Cuba, what do you think the next time that they're going to be coming over here is? The government's going to basically say, okay, we've tried this. We lose players every time we do this. You're not playing in the States anymore. I think all of these things are at play. Look, look, look. I'm as liberal as anyone you'll ever meet, yeah. but it is time for Cuba to join the 21st century and, and, and start interacting with the well, economies. I, I thought the Obama administration was the closest to, to having normalized relations with Cuba, but it just hasn't happened. I, you know, I, I don't know about that. Um, it'll be interesting, interesting to follow um, Prieto's career now to see what happens um, because, um, you know, Cuba has some great baseball players. They do have some great baseball players. By the way, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about the Sox who have uh, who are coming up with a big signing from Cuba. But Cuba is a is a is a should be a tremendous import for the United States, but it's not. But it's not. It's not as much as much as it should be, and and it's just it's sad. There are extreme consequences for the members of his family in Cuba. Yeah, right. Back. Those guys are going to get those people will be treated terribly by the Cuban government. And, and, and I really feel bad for them. But but talking about Mickey Calloway, man, you know, he, he, this whole thing comes out about him being a serial sexual harasser. Yeah. And, and he didn't get a chance to to have a single mound visit for the A's this year. You know, and they fired him finally after their own kind of investigation. 
but, uh, but, you know, I'm glad this guy is out of baseball and I don't think we'll be seeing the likes of him for a while. Well, you know, it's interesting that Callaway actually um, came out with a mea culpa, which he obviously had to, but he also said that he's, he'll be looking to resume his baseball career at the, when this penalty is up at the end of 2022. Hey, yeah. Mickey. Hey, yeah. Mickey. I got some bad news for you, buddy. You, the closest thing that you're going to get to a ball game is we'll be as a fan in disguise. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's done. He's done. Yeah. He's not going to be allowed anywhere near a major league baseball team. I don't know what kind of a pitching coach he is, or I don't know what kind of a manager he was. I remember we kind of not successful. He got fired by the Mets. I mean, he got fired by the Mets because they were terrible. They They underperformed. But, but the biggest issue is this investigation included 50 people, many of them women, not all of them, but many of them women. And it's just baseball. I understand you're trying to do the right thing and you ha- you absolutely have to do the right thing. This guy acted like basically John Wayne Gacy without killing people uh, with women for, for years. I mean, it, it just seems to me that this is systemic and um, you know, we talked about Alomar a couple weeks ago. I mean, now they're coming up with new cases against Alomar. This type of bearish uh, behavior has been going on for over a century. I'm pretty sure a lot of it is learned. Oh, you're a star on the team. Women throw themselves at you. Well, I guess let's take advantage of it. Yeah, that, right. that's, I think that's what happens here. And Mickey Calloway, disingenuously, me and my family are behind. I don't think your family's behind you, buddy, based on your behavior. Your wife and kids, I'm thinking if they look at the facts here, they'll kick your ass out of the house. That's what, that's what my wife would do. I think that's what most wives would do. Uh, and so it just, it seems like we're, um, this is just like a watershed moment for these types of things. And, and men out there, young boys out there, smarten up, start yeah. doing the right thing and be respectful to women. And, yeah. and it's just, this is a no brainer. This is low hanging fruit society. I mean, ball players and coaches too, you know, they're on the road a lot and there's a lot of women and a yep, lot of women yep. want to sleep with ball players, and I'm sure right. these guys can get sex nearly any time they want. But it's different now because there's so many more women working within baseball, within the ranks of baseball, within the media, within the front offices. And, and you cannot treat these women the same way you can treat, I guess, quote, the baseball annies yeah. you find in the hotels who are there to, you know, so uh, th- this does has to have to change and major league baseball needs to, I don't know, maybe it's training. Who knows? But you know, one last thing on the subject, I'm on Twitter. I have a fair amount of uh, people that I follow and follow me. And, and many of them are women and almost all women to a T will say the same thing over and over again. Hey men, stop sending me dick pictures. <laughs> I know. Almost in unison. I'm telling you. How many dick pictures have you sent? I've never sent one. And 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 the fact is, women don't send out vagina pictures either. This is just kind of, you know, Mickey, uh, it's passed you by. Your your type of behavior just is no will no longer be tolerated in society. I want I once sent a dick pic to my wife. That's it. it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm that, trying to think, you know, I got to think about that. Uh, women that I've been with have sent pictures of themselves to me, but I don't think I've, because basically yeah. they're like, we don't want to see it. You know, that, that's when it comes to mind. I'm like, you know, keep that to yourself. It's bad enough you have to look at it. Well, uh, just like just like my own dick pic was, was flawed. Yeah. You know, every, well, you got to use the landscape, not the portrait <laughs> mode. But... <laughs> But but just like my own junk is flawed, yeah. just about every team in baseball is flawed, really. I mean, every good team has problems. Yeah, that's they're sure. But there's been some shining stars that have emerged course, this year. And one of them is the great Shohei Otani, also my utility hitter on my team, which, by the way, fantasy baseball needs to fix its rules because I should be getting points for his pitching and is hitting, but I must each week choose to slot him as a pitcher, as a hitter, which is ridiculous. He should be, if he had the, the, the total points, he would lead all, all points in the whole game. He would be the most valuable player. Obviously he pitches and hits. So yeah. but he, earlier this he missed a start the other day. Why did he miss a start? He missed a start because the team bus got caught in traffic. He missed the bus in Bay area. Tra- no, he missed the bus. I no, thought, he made he made the bus. I'm being facetious. Oh, okay, okay. No, he the bus was stuck in traffic, yeah. and he was unable to do his sort of regular routine ahead of a, ahead of a start that he would make on the mound, and uh, so they they had to scratch him. Joe Madden had to scratch him, but uh, Joe Joe just seems to sign. You know, we find him in little moments like these. You know, but his team is still awful. He's still yeah, cannot yeah. get up off the mat. Correct. You know? Correct. He has it's, this amazing player, and yet they, they fail. Yeah. And this is a really weird situation that we've already talked about because part of it is the fact that, that Joe just doesn't have a pitching staff. Part of it is how you use the pitching staff that you have. So there, there is a, there's enough um, criticism of, of Madden where basically he's not helping the Angels. That's the, that's the problem as the manager, and you kind of need that – I think ultimately the window, the great Mike Trout window will close. I mean, he's not going to continue to put up 10 win above replacements every season. Eventually that's going to start to decline. What are the angels going to do to, to surround him? Little two things surround him with, with winning players to win a title or get rid of him. send him to a team where he can win a title. And, and, and it, it, to me, it's, 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 one of those two things, and it just seems like they're stuck in a flux. I, the Angels, the Twins, there's a few teams we've talked about that are huge disappointments. But to me, the the Angels are right up there. And I've watched they them a right lot. Up there. I have they the baseball right package. I watch a lot of Angels games. And he still, he still mystifies me in regards to his fifth through eighth inning pitching move decisions. He, it, when he has a closer, he, it's hard to screw that up. But the pitching moves leading up to that are suspect. And um, when we talk about David Ross in a few minutes with Ross, they're not suspect. I've been been observing this. And so um, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen to the angels, but I know that they have one special player in Otani. This guy is a once in a lifetime player. It's not a generational player. We, well, we haven't seen the likes of him since Babe Ruth. Yeah. I really am dying for them to come to Wrigley field, you know, uh, just see him. He's just so he's so he's larger than life in the way he's a he's a big boy. People don't understand. This is a large man. There's a reason why he has some so much power from a throwing and hitting standpoint. It's because he's a big boy. 
He's six foot five. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never. He's, he's country strong. He's country strong. Exactly. I've never seen anyone like him, and and it's it, it's exciting. But but again, you know, every team is flawed. So that means that anyone can win it all, and and that we should expect the unexpected all season long. You know, and and that's what we're getting. I think. We're seeing some great things too, besides the aberration of the lack of hitting and no hitters. Um, you know, we're constantly seeing crazy, unbelievable plays that the beauty of baseball for me is that almost every week I see something I've never seen before in the game. I, I don't think it, I can't think of any other sport that's like that uh, for me. Uh, maybe hockey only because of the way that the puck kind of you can't control the, 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 you know, the, carom, the caroms that it takes. But in baseball, earlier this week, the Pittsburgh Pirates were involved in a play that involved our own Javi Baez yeah. um, that was something I have never seen in, in my life. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen it ever even on a – um, you know, a pickup you know, like game or, or softball. Anything. Right, right. Because the runner running to first doesn't go back to home plate. That's a that's that's the the key to this play. Was Hobby Hobby did something that I can't ever remember seeing a major league hitter do, which was he they, he hit a ball, ran to first, but as he was running to first, he ran back to home plate. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, was, the guy on third, everybody was befuddled. It was just one of those moments where people were just knocked off their mooring all over the place. Well, we wanted to mention this in the context initially of, of what a play like this does yeah. to a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates, where they were just ultimately humiliated. This was one of the most humiliating moments I've witnessed on a baseball diamond. I, I would agree. I would you agree. Know, they, th those young players, that organization was just made to look. Javi Baez just destroyed them in one fell swoop because they had no idea these players on the pirates. What's this guy named uh, this first baseman, Craig, yeah. he had no idea what he needed to do. And, and, and it was brilliant in one sense, but it was devastating in another. And, and they hearken back to a play after the 1981 strike where the bases were loaded and there were three errors on a, uh, you know, there was, there were, Three errors had been committed on a play. On one hit. On one hit. Not yeah. one hit. And three right. runs had scored. That's and the right. Pirates fans booed them and booed them and booed them. Yep. And the organization kind of pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got a little bit better. But, but, but I mean, this is bad for them, you know? Yeah. You know what? I'm glad you brought this up. Because if you look at the Pirates, you know, we are family. Hasn't been family in over 40 years now. They, no. they, and, and so... Pittsburgh, which is like Detroit, which is like the south side of Chicago, we talked about this. They deserve better than what the, than what the Pirates ownership has done. What and and again, I don't fault the, their on their field stuff because over the years they've had Jimmy Leland, they've had uh, they've had fairly decent managers. I just think that these owners are just they have their heads up their ass. They're they're unwilling to do what needs to be done to build a consistent way. Or, or, you know, I, I read earlier this week that the McCaskies are thinking about selling the bears. I'm, I'm like, Oh, please sell the bears. And, and I would say the same thing to the, to the, to the pirates, like sell the team, man, give it to somebody that cares. 
because Pittsburgh is a big enough market. It's a beautiful place. It really is. It's a big enough market that if they were successful, they started putting money into the club in a smart way. They could be good. Right. They should be good. And baseball needs them to be good. Right. Please start being good. The, 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 the pirate fa- fans deserve better than this. Yes. That's that's what I would say. Well, and 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 now let's let's move into the Cubs because we have to look at this too from the, from the point of view of as Cubs fans and baseball fans. And we talk about Chicago baseball. Was that the most amazing thing you've ever seen Javi Baez do? That was it, crazy. And, and and I've seen him do like four or five plays like that. Um, I was at a game and was actually photographing that one, that other one where he went all matrix on first base a couple of years ago, running down to first base. He, he actually, you know, started shape changing. I was like, I was like, what are you, the fantastic four? What's going on here? He's so good at avoiding being tagged. And and, and people are like, now all these runners are using the swim move to steal second base. Baez was the first to do it. I don't care. what He invented it. it I remember the game where he did that. Correct. Correct. And, and he, and the other thing too, which what I'm noticing, just as a, as an aside, that you have to stay on second base when you're stealing it, like, <laughs> like meaning that you can't just tag and then go beyond the bag. Which yeah. sometimes Hobby does that, but he has a way of at least getting both hands in on the bag. He, the likes we've never seen. But I would say to you, Hobby, if I was you, I would practice hitting over nine hours a day. <laughs> I, I would wake up with a bat. And, and be hitting. I would I would go to bed with the bat. I would be thinking in my mind which pitchers throw it low and outside and on what counts and what the propensities. I would spend a lot of time. Larry, you remember what they used to say about Larry Bird? He would he would be shooting until his hands were bleeding. Like he practiced it so many times. And I say, Javi, you are a God's gift to defense, but you need to work on your offense. You really, really do. I, I well, just think it's a it, you you swing at too many bad pitches. No, you're right about that. But but I wanted to say that you know on the base path, this is where he's a genius, where he's an artist, where he takes baseball to a level that we hadn't even considered. Because not only is he aware of what he's doing and all those things, he is aware of when the other team is unaware of what they need to do and take advantage of it. And that's what happened uh, that day. And it's interesting. He's running down to first and then the throw takes Craig into the baseline. So it looks like he wants to tag him now. So, so this is when Javi sprinkles, this is when El Mago sprinkles his little magic dust. And he says, Oh, now you want to tag me. Oh, you can't get me. And he lures him into chasing him down the line, which allows Contreras to score. And then because of the shift and all these other, because the the pirates are being forced to make decisions. They panicked. They panicked. They panic and they make the wrong decision. And then suddenly he's at second base. Right. And the Cubs score that run. And then he scores on a single and they win four to three. So that's so a huge play. Let me give you the, 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 the bottom line on Javi, because something happened in that game or the, either that or the, the next game where he hit an infield single and it's just a normal single. He went to first base and changed and, and, and then aggressively turned around first base and yeah. the shortstop panicked. He's like, Oh no, see you exactly. <laughs> and was able to kind of get the ball. But I thought that defines Javi base. Javi Bias because 
he makes you shit yourself. Yeah, you, you basically, you basically, your bowels will give way because you're going to look like a fool out there, and he's going to rob you, rob you blind. And that, and and that sums him up. He gets everybody's respect, and people's people start to wake up on the field when he's on the bases. That's what I've yeah. noticed. Because he will make you look terrible. Mm-hmm. He will make you look awful. Exactly. I remember playing Wisconsin, like they were playing in the Brewers in Wisconsin. And he was on second base and he took a huge lead and the the Brewers catcher just gets up and he fires the ball to second base. And the instant he moves to throw Bias takes off for third. Exactly. And the camera, the camera shoots to the camera changes to second base and Bias is just gone. He's vanished. (laughs) And it's just, I love it. You know, I, 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 it's just, it's really great for baseball. The Cubs are on fire. I mean, I I don't know how many they've won out of how many, but it's something like 14 out of 16. Well, they they had a great May. They won, uh, I think, 18. They were 18 and and seven. No, 18 and eight, because they lose yesterday. Oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. They lose 18. They're 18 and eight in the month of May, which is a tremendous May. And what's funny is it all began with a loss to the Reds. You know, yeah. with the Amir Garrett and that yes. whole incident. Yeah. Yeah. And then it ends with a loss, you know, to the Reds at Wrigley Field. But uh, but but they have been good and they've been playing, you know, good fundamental baseball, making contact. You know, you were talking about how bad bias is with the bats sometimes. When the rest of the lineup makes contact, then you don't mind having a player like Baez in the lineup who takes his swings and occasionally hits the bomb, you know, hits something out of the park. Okay. So I saw Mark Belanger play when I was a young guy and I saw, there's a couple other guys that come to mind, Dick Trzewski on the Tigers. These are guys that the managers made no pretensions that these guys could hit. They were all field. That was their job was to be defenders and they were tremendous defenders. They weren't counted on hitting. The problem with Baez is, is he basically was saying to the world, Whoa, Whoa, I'm not one of those guys. I'm going to hit home runs. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, in order for me to do my, my uh, histrionics on the base pass, I've got to get on base to do that. So that's the problem. To me, that's the the, the issue. You you have to work on that aspect of your game. And then you're one of the all-time greats. Now you're just a remarkable player, but you could be one of the all-time greats. You have to work on your hitting. He could be the MVP. I mean, a play like that won them a game. Yes. You know, you're yeah. right. I mean, he does not, you know, it, it, if you watch him hit, he's never ahead in the count. Never. Right. right. No, always, I know. He, he's always had an 0-2 count, which yeah. every every great pitcher, and even Ted Williams would tell you, if you're a 350 hitter and you have two strikes on you, you're a 150 hitter. It, yeah. And that's what the, the because the pitchers have the option of pitching. First of all, if you notice on an 0-2 account, that ball invariably is always a ball. The next yeah. pitch is almost always a ball. And the hitters know that that's happening. Well, shit, he still swings at that stuff. That's like, like, like they just climb the ladder on him, you know. But it's just occasion. they outsmart him in, in when he's in that box. And so – but, but, then yet, he that bomb. but yet he can hit home runs and he can hit his exit velocity is tremendous. That's what tells me you need to work on your hitting buddy. Seriously. Exactly. And break on through. Yeah. So but that home run he hit in St. Louis. Yep. So to yep. win the game two, yep. nothing yep. that yep. crushed. It. That's typical hobby. Yes. So, you know, the, the Cubs are on fire. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this because it makes me think, you know, you guys did nothing in the off season. 
You spent no money whatsoever because I think you thought this was going to be a part of the dismantling, get rid of Chris Bryant. You had to prepare that way. You had well, to kind of if you if they keep playing like this, they've got to make a very difficult decision, which is they got to resign, they got to keep Bryant. They can't let him go. And that well, I, have some, I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, that, no, I, I, I. But I'm saying, like, it, it's the it, the better that the Cubs play, the more that the pressure is going to be on the Cubs to start filling a couple of those holes on the team, which they need to do. F first of all, they have one of the best bullpens in baseball. Period. 38, period. Thirty-eight innings. Their setup month. and their closer haven't given up runs since like the previous month. Yeah. And so, it, again, I just think Cubs management has a good problem, but it's a problem nonetheless, because I think most people and myself included figured that at the deadline, they would be big daddy sellers and we would be getting a lot of future chess pieces. That's, that's what I thought. I don't think that's going to happen if they keep playing like this. That's well, what I'm saying. I, I, I completely agree. I mean, we were set up to sort of accept that the Cubs would have to trade Bryant, you know, to somebody that he would have some value and, you know, and maybe Contreras would leave too, and that these guys would be good, but the team wouldn't win, but they are winning. Yeah. They have a great bullpen. They have a great manager who knows how to use the great bullpen, and they catch the ball. That's right. They're making contact. They're, they're, right. They have all these scrubs in there. This guy, Luis Ortega. Right. And his and, first and home run last still, night, two nights ago. Know, it, it's just they're doing it with just – Guys who are they picked up off the scrap heap? Band-aids and spittle. Yeah, I know, but they're they continue to win, and and I think that's good because you know Rizzo is getting some badly needed rest for his yeah. aching back. Correct. And uh, and 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 you know then other th another thing too is look at how versatile Chris Bryant is. Right. He's right, playing right. everywhere. He's played Correct. all three outfield Correct. positions. He's played both corner infield positions. The only thing he hasn't played is middle infield and catcher. You know? Yeah, it, it, again, it, it, it's it's great. I'm so happy that they're playing so well. And, and by the way, for me, I stopped watching the Cubs. I have to say, I have the ability to watch every major league game, but I wasn't watching the Cubs because they were playing terribly. Not the last week, I've watched almost every Cub game. Yeah, watch every. I'm I'm DVRing the games. I'm watching them. It's it's really been for me a Cubs fan. I am just thrilled by this team. I love watching them. But it, it, it's going to get tough this week because San Diego comes to town, and uh, you know, we, I hope we, that they're ready to deal with that. I don't want to move on to the Sox until we talk about what David Ross is doing um, yeah. with the Cubs right now. I think it's extremely um, important to note that the Cubs, and if, remember last year, they came out of the gates, I think they won 16 of their first 22 or right. something they like that. Hot, they were hot at the and, and then they rode it kind of 500 the rest of the way. I remarked last summer that – I thought that it wasn't the, it wasn't Ross's fault because he was pulling all the right strings. He was, he was making all of the right moves from a pitching standpoint. And, you know, my brother believes, and I do believe this too, that catchers make the best managers. Catchers have the ability to see the field in a different way that right. helps right. them as a, as a manager. And I think Ross this year, there's been a couple of times where I, because again, I'm Sparky Anderson, boy, buddy. I'll, I'll be in a game. I'll be like, you need to get this picture out of here right now. And oh, here comes Ross up the steps. Ross, and he's walking right out there because he knows he's got to get rid of that picture. That's not something that our boy uh, Joe, Sleepy Joe, out in LA was doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah. It, 
Ross is 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 a damn good manager. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. He could win manager of the year. He could, depending on how the Cubs finish. You're right. Hey, I wanted to ask you one quick thing before we move on to the Sox. Going back to the the Baez play on the base pants. Yeah. You saw there was the the camera shots of uh, Anthony Rizzo laughing. And yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Did you think he was laughing a little too loud, or are we in the big leagues and these are big boys and you need to be able to take it? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, Rizzo, if you're back so bad, how are you laughing so hard? I'll hang up and listen for my answer. Um, <laughs> the other thing, Rizzo, why do the Cubs play so well when you're not on the field? Um, hey, they do. Hey, look, at, hey, look at the record hey. with him not in the lineup over the last five years. It's well over 500. But, hey. um, the, but you know, the Cubs are hated. We've talked about this. Yeah, when they so get up and start acting arrogant like that, that they're not helping themselves, but kind of like a biker gang. I don't think they give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think they care. They don't yeah. care what people think of them and good, bad, or indifferent. It's great. If you, when you're winning, like right now, it's all fun and fun and, you know, fun and games. But when you're losing, then you're just like the despised Cincinnati Reds or, or the hot ass Pittsburgh pirates, you know, you, like both of those teams over the last five years have shown, uh, uh, ugly things on the baseball path. And, and why do we think it's even worse? Because they were crappy teams. Yeah. When they're really good teams, they're like, oh, that's his character. They're just, you know, and 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 you're right. Rizzo would overdid it. He, he overdid it, you know, but oh, well, the Cubs like to laugh. Yeah. And they're going to, and they don't care. You're right. They don't care what people think. You know what's a great team is the White Sox. That's right. White Sox is a legitimately great team because they have that same bullpen thing, but and I know they got old man father time as the manager, but it seems like they've got a new guy coming. They've had so many injuries and they've replaced those injuries with, with young talented players like Mercedes, who's who've had the opportunity that they know otherwise wouldn't have had if yeah. those players they're were contributing. They're contributing to a winner. And then you combine that with the sort of the steadfast Jose Abreu yep. and electrifying Tim Anderson. You know what I mean? Yep. That, you have a legitimate team here. And, right. and and then they, you know, like you talk about good problems. I mean, there's talk of, of, of uh, Eloy Jimenez coming back sooner rather than later. You yeah. know what I mean? And maybe, maybe Robert, Robert can be, you know, back in the lineup soon. You know, I, I, I'd be reluctant to part with some of these guys. Well, they're know? not, oh, you're talking about once those guys come back. Yeah, you're you don't right. have to part with them, but I'd be reluctant to send them to the bench. It gives, you're right. It gives the Sox a great luxury where they can ease those injured players back in legitimately. And if they don't respond, then they, they have a perfect excuse. Well, the guys that took your place will stick with them. You know, I, I think they're in a no-lose situation. And I've been, I'm watching, ever since they played the Yankees, going back to that last week, and the Yankees kind of, hit him on the chin a couple of times. Oh, I, I had thought the, the Sox have been on fire and they've played like they learned something from that series is what, is what, what I'm trying to say. Giolito is starting to pitch. And what did I tell you? Once he started getting to be a thoroughbred, the Sox are going to be awfully tough to beat. They've got a great closer. They've got a great setup bullpen. They got bats coming off the bench that are hitting very well. The only problem I see is the team is the manager, but I think if they can keep him out of the way, the Sox could have a long run. I, I, I'm a big fan of the Sox. And, uh, you know, and, and by, as a Cubs fan, I always like it when the Cardinals get knocked off. Like they just. Oh, yeah. They the totally Sox. helped the Cubs out. It was great because they had allowed the Cubs to move within a half game of first place, where which 
which is where they've been since last Tuesday. As, yeah. as every day since then, there's just been, you know, the, each team is either won or each team is lost. So that, that's been kind of dramatic as well. Yeah. But, but then the, the Sox went and picked on the Baltimore Orioles and they took four straight, four straight? Something like that. Yeah. 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 They won Thursday. They were canceled Friday. They swept the doubleheader Saturday. Including beating the great John Means, who's a tremendous pitcher that Baltimore has. One of the best left-handers in the game right now. Well, Baltimore, who had gotten off to a kind of a hot start, is now looking like one of the worst teams in baseball. Correct. You know? and, uh, and it's kind of sad, but, uh, you know, I, I don't fault the Sox for taking advantage of it. And take advantage of it, they did. I was a little concerned, though, about uh, Liam Hendricks, who saved both ends of the doubleheader. Yeah, thanks. And then saved uh, saved the game on Sunday. Is he being thanks. overused? No, no, I don't. Because he's on my team. And he's not he, a fantasy he, team. He needs to pitch oh, every day. overuse him. No, oh. no. Uh, but today's going to be interesting because they got a game today. Will he pitch today? That's the big question. They they play Cleveland in Cleveland or here? Uh, I, know know that's a, I don't. I do not know. You stumped me because we've had this sort of rush or run of days where the Cubs and the White Sox are in town at the same time. I know, which is very unusual, right? It is that, unusual. That, that, I mean, it used to be that would happen like once every like five or six seasons, and I actually went to a Cubs game on the north side, got on the L went to the south side and saw the Sox play. So that was kind of cool. But, uh, what, but, oh, but, but when was that, though? That was years ago. That was back before I was married, back when I was living in Logan Square. This right. was like maybe the early 2000s or the late 90s. So you know, the White Sox are in Cleveland. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. One of the worst hitting teams. They they could sweep them. Cleveland's one of the worst hitting teams in in, in baseball. I was researching it earlier. So, um, but they win. They win close games because they have great pitching. But you know, I mean, Jose Ramirez can hit. Yeah. Yes. 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 You know, if if he gets enough at bats, then he might make the difference. But Correct. otherwise, Correct. They're, you they're know, kind of. But, uh, but before we forget, before we forget, the White Sox had a big get this week um, yeah. where they signed the Cuban Shohei Otani. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Oscar Colas? Oscar Colas is the second highest ranked international player, and the White Sox have acquired him. And I don't know how the White Sox managed to do this time and time again, but there is a bit of a pipeline between the island of Cuba and the White Sox team, and I love it. And part of it has to do with the, the great agent, Barry Praver, who represents all these guys from Magnus Media and his relationship with Jerry Reinsdorf. And then also the fact that, that the, the, the White Sox traditionally have had Cuban ballplayers of, 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 high, re, of high regard. Right. So, so this is uh, more good news for the future of the White Sox. I love that they do this kind of stuff. I love that they seem to have kind of an inside track on this kind of talent because these Cubans kick ass, you know, there, there was a, there was a story last summer where the Cubs due to COVID for other reasons, started laying off a lot of people and they really, really hit their scouting team pretty hard, which I told you, like, this is a, a big mistake. It's, it's obvious that the Sox have a great scout in Cuba or a system in Cuba that's better than most teams. Like the Blue Jays are really good at that too. The Dodgers are good with Mexico, but the Sox are really, they, there's, there's some great scouting that's being done uh, in Cuba. 
and that and that intelligence is making it back to the to the White Sox team, and they're making decisions. It's not just you know they know which players to take. That's not something that you know you can read in books and all these scouting reports. They actually are on the they have boots on the ground in Cuba. That's what I'm trying to say. They they know something, man, and I think it's great. And this kid, he's 22 years old. He's number two on the top 30 international prospects list. He hits for average, you know, like he's a 300 yes. hitter. Correct. He doesn't have a lot of power, and he's left-handed. He's a, yeah, correct, correct. So this will be. I am very. Excited. And he can pitch. He can pitch, and he can hit. I'm, yeah, yeah. We're so. we're going to be watching this with some interest. I hope he's up here sooner than later. But the White Sox have a glut of a Latin American talent. And yes. I, and yes. I love that. It makes them very, very interesting. So, so speaking of which, uh, Herman Mercedes, Hermine Mercedes, what is he doing with left-handed pitching? Have you seen your You've seen your mean hit. Mm-hmm. Have you seen him hit against the left? I've seen him hit. I've seen him pitch. I've seen everything, <laughs> but he against left-handers in particular. Yeah. He is devastating. Correct. He, he notices the difference between every strike and every ball. When he takes a pitch, he just has a tremendous eye, and he rakes. They throw balls at his head. Right. Not at his head, but at the level of his head, and he strokes singles to right field. I love watching this guy play. So have you seen the, have you seen the White Sox new uniforms that they just oh, unveiled? Yeah. No, what I do you think, think about this? Well, I think it's good. You know, I think the it's going to be very popular with the White Sox fan base. I'm not going to get one. Um, no. Not because I, I just I'm not I'm not that much of a White Sox fan, and I don't like them that much to to, to buy one. But anything that draws eyeballs, anything that sort of galvanizes the identity of the team, yeah. I endorse wholeheartedly. You know, it's doing I'm, really well with the gangbangers out there. <laughs> It's kind of, oh God. Yeah, the gang, the South Side gang. This will be very popular with them. And, yeah, so you know, for a fan out there, because we're this is we're not really describing this. There, it's all black, and it says South Siders or something like Southside that. Of that kind of what is it? English lettering or yeah, something? You know, almost like Tiger Detroit Tiger lettering. Yeah, which there could just, be a lawsuit there. And and what I love about it is is it's saying to what it what it and the hats are are chi. CHI, right, right, right. But what it's saying, the White Sox are saying to black fans yes. and, and Latino fans sort of indirectly, but what they're saying to black fans is you are welcome to come out and support this team. We want you to be our fans, please. And I yeah. think that is a good thing. That, that's a tremendous thing. And by the way, these kind of things happen when the team is playing well. I, I just think you, you have a much better chance. Uh, um, but uh, anyhow. All right, so so that's it. We've exhausted our supply of peanuts. It is time to uh, to add some more carbohydrates to our diet and open the bag of popcorn. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. And uh, our movie this week is one I chose, and it's one of my favorites. And, and, and it's kind of one of those movies that uh, is so bad that it's great. And I'm talking about Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze, which is the story, and many of you have seen this. It is the 1980s classic where Patrick Swayze is the best bouncer 
in the business. And he basically makes a handsome living uh, going to different bars and organizing the bouncers and making sure that the place, uh, that the people, the paying customers are kept safe and can enjoy themselves safely. And it's just, he is a martial artist expert. He has a degree in philosophy and uh, he is one badass motherfucker, you know? And it's just, it's so corny, but because it's Patrick Swayze, it's wonderful. Did you agree? No, no, I didn't, <laughs> no. Um, Had you ever seen this movie before? I, I, I didn't, and there was a reason for that. Um, How uh, could you have avoided it? So like, like Ebert, um, I um, write down notes while I'm watching a movie right. for the show. Yeah. Like and Roger the word Moore. I wrote down 67 times on a piece of paper is, is the word preposterous. It's just preposterous. It's completely preposterous. I, I thought that, that like Ebert, I didn't give it two and a half stars. I gave it two stars. I thought this was, uh, yeah. first of all, not to chastise you, it's not worthy of our discussion. But oh, come on. It's, it's, you know, every movie, see, this is where, see, you like to. You're like Siskel, and I'm like Ebert. No, it, you like to give great movies. You like to yes, talk about great, and correct. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But. So, but not but just because a movie isn't great doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Yes, I would I, I would agree if it wasn't 685th on my list of all films watched. Uh, and so the, the, there's problems all over the place with this film. And but I will I do agree with Ebert that it's never boring. The movie was never boring, and I was able to kind of watch the almost two hours without saying you know what time is it. If when when it's really like a bomb movie, I'm like what time is it? When is this going to be over? I really didn't do that with this film. That's maybe the best thing that I can say about it. But it was cliches. It, it was. It, it was. And and you now you know if you read like the some articles about the film subsequently why women today despise that movie because of how women were treated and it was roundly criticized at the time. Um, it's it's when you call it. I, I just take exception to the word classic. I don't think it's a classic. I think it's a it's an eighties film and there's a lot of eighties films. I mean, and, and some of them are watchable. It is an 80s classic. Yeah, I suppose. It's, it's, you mean like in the sense of like Amadeus uh, or um, oh, The yeah. Killing Fields? I, I'm being facetious. movie that really represents right. the, hey, the decade. Dude, I'm not, I'm not trash. Like, I like some movies that I'm sure you're going to feel the same way about too. But for this movie, for me, it just seemed dated. It, and also, I was a bouncer on Rush Street. And nothing personal, Patrick Swayze. You couldn't have taken one punch from some of the guys that I know. One punch would have knocked you out. So that part was like preposterous. Again, I wrote preposterous. This guy is like five foot seven, 145 pounds, taking down six foot five guys, you know, only in cartoons. Don't you understand, Tom? Doesn't matter how big a guy is, you take out his knee, he drops like a stone. Right, right. Look, look. Right. Sam Elliott too. I saw both of those guys like taking down forty dudes, and I'm like, wow, this is this is like one of those early '70s uh, Bruce Lee movies. But what's fun, but the fight sequences are actually really good. You know, they're really. But I mean, like at the end when he's fighting the really big bad guy, and he's got him in a headlock. And he says, "I used to fuck guys like you in prison." Right, right, right. And, and then he tears his. Sword I, out. See, I like I like that part. Uh, but but here's here's a thought. The guy, the bad guy in the film played yeah, Brad great. Ben, ben Gazzara was the best part of the movie. Um, he, um, based on a real character, by the way, right, who, right, right. Uh, whose name was uh, Ken McInerney or something like that. And it's an, uh, a 
based on a great true story called In Broad Daylight, yeah, where a whole town got together. Nobody saw it. Nobody no, saw it. the whole town got together and killed the bad guy in town. And then everybody, you know, uh, zipped up and never talked about it again. But Gazzaro lives in this beautiful mansion. And right next to it is the dumpiest house I've ever seen but in my life. Proof. And I thought to myself, where does that exist anywhere else on the planet? Where, well, where there's a mansion next to the worst house in town. Where does that exist except in this movie? Well, Roger Ebert had a great comment. He's like, well, it's a town that seems to have only two houses. Right. <laughs> it's even better, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which was brilliant. I so that so was some films are so bad, it's good. It kind of thing, like a cult type film. And I can see where some people may suspect that this one is, but not for me. To me, this was a film I would never watch again unless I had to by a judge. I mean, oh. that's... Dude, I, what amazes me is that, how old are you, Tom, that you have uh, got, you know. I'm not going to say that in front of our fan, but let's just say I was born when Eisenhower was president. How could you <laughs> have gotten through the last 40, 30 years yeah. without seeing at least part of this movie? Because yeah. I didn't want to. And, and that's the, the main, there's, I, I told you, there's, there's a certain genre of film that I have no interest in. And it's basically any variation of the action picture. I just, unless it's, you know, the French connection or the plot is so good, you cannot avoid it. I stay away from traditional action films. Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Terminator, all these movies. I, I'm sorry, it just doesn't do it for me. But you know what, though? There is some art in this movie. There are little bitty moments where the director does a great job of like, like when, when Sam Elliott gets the phone call where he's bouncing in the, in yes. the, well, the service. And the titty bar. In the titty bar, and then the the stripper gives him a look, like, "Hey, yeah. I'll meet you later." You exactly, I mean? exactly. And, and, and also, when 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 the waitress brings coffee to Patrick Swayze, you know what I mean, and she sees his ass, and yeah. she's sort of like, "Oh, she blushes." Right. You know, it, the director does actually a competent job of of bringing those moments out, and that's why this movie is a richer form of trash. Okay? <laughs> Than, than other movies in the same sort of genre. That, and plus, you know, that, part, that part I buy, I, I agree. It's just kind of campy to a certain degree. Yeah, oh, it's it's all, cool. yeah. I don't disagree with anything you say. The difference is I still love Got it, got it. So we can't go any further without mentioning the great Jeff Healy, who makes an appearance as himself in this movie. Let me tell you, Leo, and I'm so glad you brought this up. He was the best part of the movie for me. <laughs> and, and in fact, when, when, and I don't mean that in a, in a, in a bad way. I'm, I, I'm, when the early part of the film, there's several inside the, the big bar shots. Yeah, inside and, and the when, double deuce. We're in the double deuce. When this, when this guy, the late great Jeff Healy, um, yeah. was playing uh, in the bar behind Chicken Wire. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he was a blind musician. Uh, he, unfortunately, he died of leukemia at age 40, didn't live a very long life. But he's the best part of this film. And yeah. I thought that when his music was playing, which was largely covers of great old rock and blues but great songs, covers, really great covers. Tremendous covers. And, uh, but he's blind. I mean, yeah. he's blind. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I kept thinking, you're the real hero here because you didn't have to see this film. <laughs> but. So, all right. So, obviously, uh, it is your turn now to pick. Yeah. So, might you tell us what uh, you have in store for us next week? Yeah, I'm going to cl clean the palette off here. And 
Uh, we're going with a film made in 1957 by Sidney Lumet called 12 Angry Men. Oh, 12 Angry Men. Oh, that's the, But I want you to specifically that version. There's been many versions, oh. but that's the version oh. we're going to I've watch. seen that version many times. I will watch it again this week. I'm totally looking forward to that. All right, Tom. Until next week, we are the two peas in a podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffee. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.